Welcome to Blind Shovel, an arts and music podcast. For this episode, I spoke with the Lyons brothers, Tim and Chris Lyons. We discussed the nature of brotherhood and collaboration. Enjoy. Talking to Lions Brothers. Extraordinaire. Thanks for having us on, Mike. Tim and Chris. Yo. From New Jersey. Asbury Park. The Jersey Shore. Jersey Shore. Seagirt. Seagirt, technically, yeah. Seagirt. So two beach boys. Beach boys. How would you describe what you do? Start with Tim. <laughs> I was gonna say you you go first. <laughs> no. Uh what I uh, what'd you do today? What'd I do today? So I do, I have a nine to five. I have a nine to five that, you know, I'm particularly proud of. I think, uh, I think, you know, having creative pursuits is not mutually exclusive to, you know, working for a living. Um, I am a commercial electrician for solar landscape. We do large scale, uh, solar infrastructure. Um, I could talk a lot about the sun and its relationship to life and energy, but creatively I am a writer and a photographer and most recently a filmmaker. Well, not yet, right? Uh, Does it count? Yeah, it counts. It counts? I think we don't need it. You don't need to make a film to be a filmmaker? You need to be in the process of making a film. (laughs) You're both making. Yes. Yeah. I think you should. You know, so, what is your? Now yeah. You, what do you do? What do you do, Chris? Do you want to start the same way? What did I do today? Yeah. Hey, what did you do today? I think that helped. <laughs> what, 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 what did we do, do today? Woke what up, met you. Do late? Met you at the library. Public library. Yeah. We went in the door early and uh, used a bunch of crazy equipment to create a three D model of the space, so I could translate the space into. A virtual environment so we could do some concept art. To help the library build out their teen zone. The teen zone, yeah. That I'll, you know, I'll work up a design. He'll render it out. But that's just today. Yeah. What do you technically do? Well, I go by the title of creative technologist. Okay. Which I guess was an industry buzzword like five years ago. But, Creative technologist? Yeah. I've never heard like, that one. It like blew up in popularity and then I was like, great. You're supposedly the keystone between the technical team at a company and the creative team, except I freelance. So, Right. So As a title, it just means I do creative work that's also technical. Okay. In the case of what I've been doing lately, it's mostly 3D modeling. Blender. Blender. A lot of Blender. And filmmaking. And filmmaking. Well, this is the first film. First film, yeah. Do you want to talk about that film? Is it? Are you allowed to? Yeah. I mean... Question mark? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how much you want to talk about it, Chris, but we're making a film um, ab- about climate and really how we know what we know about climate today. Um, is there anything you want what to say? What would that entail? What does the film entail? 
That entails going into the field and following these climate scientists as they collect data. Um, yeah, that's that's really it. So r right now we just we officially greenlit on getting on some of those expeditions, and we started shooting last month. And um, me and this guy are directing together. So, Which guy? Uh, the other podcaster. Hi. Oh, do you guys work well together? Uh, so far. <laughs> we don't exactly agree. This is the first that. time? It's the hierarchy. Oh, who, man, who gets I... to deal with what? This is an interesting question for people out there. Most people probably don't work with their brothers. I do. Um, <laughs> yeah. Very much so. So brotherhood and then what it's like to work together within that structure and making it work. What does it look like? Who wants to answer that been one too, first? Has it been too short There's of a time? A lot of questions. Uh, uh, no. I, well, I mean, maybe you should answer. No, I mean, I could start with having worked with you since we were... <laughs> yeah, so you know exactly yes. where I'm going. <laughs> what, what, where? where, uh, yeah, this is where? Really... Are you familiar with the term herpetologist? <laughs> Herp? Do you no. know what that means? No, I'm not. Tim, you want to define the... the uh, speaking of esoteric titles? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Herpetologist? It's, it's yeah. The study of reptiles. Okay. <laughs> with a specific interest a in sinful uh, task. With snakes being a primary oh, God. Uh, even worse point of interest. All right, you worked together studying snakes at some point? No. One person studied the snakes, the other one helped catch the snakes. You? And there being a five year age difference, I at the age of about five or four <laughs> had to put my hands on a lot of giant snakes in the woods. Tim had a strategy in which he would grab a snake's tail pull it out of a tree or a rock and it would be like my body length as a five-year-old yeah and he would just pull it up like inch by inch until like the head is snapping and he'd be like chris come over here open the pillowcase nice. and i'm like a five-year-old shaking with yeah. like a snake snapping in my hands i feel bad for this to this day by the way for what the snake <laughs> just putting him in danger i never got bit you got bit <laughs> so that's how you started working together that's a that's my traumatic early recollection. What were you doing? And it worked what, great. We what, caught all the snakes. What were you doing to the snakes? You would study them. I, I would, you know, take pictures of their scales and measure them. I was really too little to know what studying meant, but but he was doing it, and I was helping. Chris definitely helped me capture those snakes. I did the hard part. He did. So all that to say that you've been working together for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> a very long time. Yeah. But this this project coming up is the most serious collaboration. Is that fair? Yeah, definitely, absolutely formal. Uh, I mean, I'll I'll give my own anecdotal story. You know, other than other than holding the snake bags, Chris is should definitely, I be afraid? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> uh, Chris is definitely. You know, I've done a lot of independent work my whole life, but it was never really fully independent. Chris helped me on like literally everything I've ever done. Uh, there's been, you know, I am technologically inept in so many ways. And so many of the, my, you know, me getting in my own way about, you know, processing images or how to scan images i'm some as a photographer i always shot with film and chris was always pushing me to you know think about shooting in different ways there was a, a good example of this is I, I had this idea for a photo that i was 
uh, going to shoot for an assignment. And uh, it was kind of tricky to know where the sun would be to capture this one moment. And this is when he was first working in VR and first experimenting with it. And he was like, oh, well, we're just going to put you in Google Earth, throw this headset on. Oh, you want to shoot from here? All right, you want to shoot at this time of day? And we just mapped out the whole photo. And uh, I, I basically knew exactly what time to be there and when, where to stand. And uh, I feel like, you know, as far as collaboration goes, it's Chris has always been, you know, a creative partner on everything I've ever done. So doing it this time, it feels natural. Um, we were flying home from this first shoot on the plane and we uh, tricked some gentlemen into moving so we could sit next to each other. <laughs> mm -hmm. And proceeded to not talk business and only watched movies. Yeah, so. we watched movies, but there was a feeling of, you know, a victory lap on that shoot. And like, despite it really being the first time formally doing it, that it just made sense and we'd probably be doing it a lot more here on out. Aside, I mean, we're about to embark on a marathon, so we got to do how long? Uh, how long do you expect this project to take? As long as it takes. <laughs> twenty twenty-five. No sense of it. Twenty twenty-five. We're yeah. gonna have it in on the, the big screen. Yeah, twenty twenty-five release date. You have any big fights? Oh yeah. What do you fight about? As like, I'm just going to keep bringing up the negatives and he's going to keep bringing yeah, yeah, up the positives. Yeah, that's fine. Someone has to do it. <laughs> that's good. Yes. Well, I mean, if I, I mean, we most recently fought on, not fought, but. I was just disagreeing on set. We disagreed on set and uh, I was wrong. Totally wrong. He was wrong? Uh, yeah. Yep, Definitely wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. It was. The shot we got in the end was the best shot of the trip for sure. I, I, yeah, I don't. He didn't think we had time for it. I didn't. Yeah. We, Wait, uh, do you have clear identity we'll, when you're working we'll, on it? No. If we should stick this lens into this very expensive machine, which we did, and it totally worked. Yeah. So the, you're reckless. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. But we had talked about that idea before we even went. Yeah, totally. It's yeah. like we're gonna have the lens and the machine as a whole on the side. Yeah. It was. It was the right call. It's definitely the right call. But do you have clear identities and roles when you work together? Uh, so far, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So what are they? Tim usually has a wider scope and idea as to what we need to do over the course of a day. And we'll like slowly transition between each of these tasks. Whereas I'll be like running around doing all the, the fine in-betweens. So like kind of complement each other in that way. Mm -hmm. And if there's disagreement, like, yeah, it hasn't really been... That hard so far. No. Yeah, no. And growing up, these identities were clear? Like, are you what you thought you would be when you were little? Oh, he's exactly the same. <laughs> he's, he's exactly the same, <laughs> yeah. too. Oh, yeah, you tinker. You're a tinker. <laughs> yeah. Talking about PSPs. Oh, yeah. You missed that. And too. then uh, it's clear that you are a tech tinker. That's a more appropriate title. But then what are you? Uh, it's, I don't know. A curious... What is he? Yeah, maybe you. You seem both philosophical. In different ways, for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, who's your philosopher? Who's mine? No, I'm Diogenes. And I'm Plato. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Not that I'm Plato. It's just that's the philosopher. I'm Plato. <laughs> now that yeah, that's yeah. on air. No, I mean, I identify with Plato's work. Yeah, I'm just curious if you butt heads or get competitive about certain things, but your age gap is big enough where you probably don't? No. When we were younger, maybe, but only like kind of. Well, five years is a large gap. Yeah. Big enough to where, yeah, usually we can just talk it out. Well, your, is your family mature in that sense? Uh, Do you feel that way? Like, I feel like my family's mostly mature. Yeah. There's yeah, problems, yeah. you just talk it out. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. You have to figure it out, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, especially when you're working together on a project. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And also, it's not just me and you. Kyber, yeah, third man Kyber in, our, Jones. in our trio, is also... Usually, it's a, a three-way battle in the way that like he'll say something i'll agree with him you'll disagree yeah or vice versa you'll agree with him and i'll disagree yeah yeah cover so. cover also has you know he's seasoned he is a very very skilled craftsman as a filmmaker and super professional so he's a great tiebreaker because yeah, we yeah, both yeah. trust him a lot yeah absolutely but in terms of like, if someone's from the outside, you're a photographer. Yeah. In the most basic sense, right? Like if someone goes on the internet and looks at your work, yeah, they see a photographer and a writer. And a writer. Yeah. And I think maybe what may distinguish me is kind of where I want to point these things. Uh, like I did, there is this philosophical background, you know, I studied philosophy I want to use the camera to ask questions and, you know, point it in places maybe where it's not. So, yeah. That's what you use art for. It's in the service of philosophical exploration. Is yeah. that fair? Yeah, I think so. I think what that, do you that's use an art aspect for, of it. Chris? Uh, usually to have fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds Very about different. right. You love gimmicks. I love gimmicks. So you're good to... Um, combination yeah you can't take between the two of us can't be too silly or too serious <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> do you need each other uh i think to make a complete project, yeah to make yeah. a complete work of art probably yeah i think so i mean he's helped me on everything i've done so let's definitely give credit where credit's due also you're pretty good at communicating what you want Maybe I don't know. Yeah, you, need, you know any you other uh, tools? <laughs> you know any other brotherly Digital tools? Yeah, tandems uh, of this nature. Personally, no. no. What do you do? You look up to the Wachowski brothers, the Quay brothers, the other brothers. There's a lot of I don't know any of the brothers. A, a lot of brother uh, siblings in filmmaking. Yeah, uh, that it does seem like. Oh, Cohen. Cohen. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it it. I think, I think maybe that's what's cool about making films, and we're doing. I mean, what we're doing is a huge undertaking for us, but small compared to like a huge, uh, like Hollywood film. And there is so many moving parts that, like, you know, having having a team of people yeah. is kind of what makes it interesting, rather than like a lone artist in a studio. And there is like. You know, me and him have some sort of sixth sense where we don't have to finish thoughts and 
can just, you know, speak in half sentences. Has that always been the case? I don't know. That's a good question. Do you, when did that, when do you think that started? I think pretty, not late. Yeah. But it might not have been acknowledged until like, when I say recently, I mean in like the last 10 years. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and your ages are, just so people know. I am 31. And I'm 25. Going on 26 soon. Yeah. Hmm. So you're young. How does Seagirt... <laughs> how did Seagirt... How does it influence you? A lot. I've I've come to realize this a lot. Really? Yeah. We grew up in like a strange time capsule. Right. Beach towns are like kind of frozen in time. Why also is that? isolated from a lot of pop culture. Yeah. Something I didn't know about. Yeah. Um... But yeah, no. Like, our explain that a little more. People don't necessarily know about New Jersey beach towns. I don't know if they're all like this, but ours, um, kindergarten through eighth grade, I had a grade size of like what? Probably same with you, like twenty. Twenty. No. Yeah, twenty people per grade. Public school. Yeah. Oh. No. Tiny, and it was like very cult-like. Like, by the time you graduated, everyone wore a suit, and you all had to like sing in front of. Wonderful. Basically, the whole town. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, very, very, very tight knit community. But yeah. everyone is on a old timey bicycle. It's like you know, like you'd imagine with a beach town, but all year round. Yeah, it's like I grew up in a different era. Yes, yeah. that's what it felt like. Yeah. And you live there now. Yeah. And when's the last Partially. time you lived there? Probably four years ago, five years ago. And you love it? No. I, in hindsight, into it growing up there. Yeah. But yeah, like our house growing up, it's like a compound, kind of. In what sense? Just a lot of people in and out all the time. Open door. Yeah. Circus. Yeah, it's like a circus. Lots of animals. Lots of open doors. There are more people that can ride a unicycle than can't. Yeah. A unicycle? Yeah. But so, like, what did you take from Seeger? You know, if it's that kind of uh, idiosyncratic, in what ways did it inform who you are? You both seem to uh, want to do what you believe in, but I don't know if that's a result of your family structure or the girt. What, at what age did we get complete freedom to visit our friends and do whatever we wanted? I th so I, I think, would say the age of five. I th uh, yeah, I, th I think wow. there's I think there's that component, but I think it's very much. Stronger family combined. Yeah, it's probably yeah. Yeah, more of our family <laughs> yeah. than others. We'll, we'll just go right. We'll just point right at that. But you are you saying that the neighborhood was so trusted that at five you could just wander about? There was some. We had the ability to wander too. Yeah, yeah. that's important. I mean, there's a there's an army camp on one side. Yeah, train tracks and then like a lake. So it's kind of like boxed in. Hmm. Yeah. It's part of Asbury Park. No, it's nowhere. It's not in terms of Asbury it's, Park. Is what you tell people when they say uh, oh, south of Asbury. Yeah. yeah. To compare okay. the two would be yeah. very eyebrow-raising to the native of Asbury. <laughs> yeah. Understood. Have I been there? Probably I, not. I it's a like square mile. Huh. Yeah. And so, what's the identifying stereotype of a Seagirt individual? Oh, it's changed a lot. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to bring that up. We've been there for 25 years. Yeah. Yeah, and it's now like a very like popular... Like, they've torn down all the beach bungalows and put up, like, big McMansions. Really? Yeah. So, I think the average stereotype now is probably different than what it was. Yeah. Or were you, like, hippie? 
people? Uh, I mean, this is probably where we talk about the family influence. Yeah, maybe. Um, or is the environment just more open just, beachy? Beach towns in general, I would say 10% of the real estate is full-time residents. So even if it's a square mile town, then you only have like a tiny percentage of mm-hmm. homes, people mm-hmm. that live there full-time. Yeah. And when it's half beach bungalows and then half getaway homes, you have this weird dynamic of... Sure. Yeah. But is there a Seagirt identity that you represent? I'm I'm gonna say no. Yeah, no. no. You're the, like anywhere else. You're in opposition. All, all of, yeah, I think all these things fostered a need to leave too, a curiosity for what was outside of it. Yeah, I think the appreciation for this stuff came later for me at least. Uh, but there was like a real hunger to, you know, get out and see what was around the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, in like a in a literal like what's around the corner here but like what's around the corner on the other side of the world right um i think whatever this you know need to follow one's creative path definitely was family influenced no oh, our grandparents yeah in what our, sense? our grandparents are it's like you said it before i could yeah, yeah. it's just explain that our grandparents are just amazing people uh, yeah so influential so influential uh my our our grandmother is a developmental psychologist whose work she worked pretty closely with the Montessori program and younger kids in general yeah and i was telling you this earlier like toys when we go to their house yeah Yeah. we're never like it was always open-ended like yeah what can you build just like always had like crafts and supplies that's a Montessori thing, right? Yeah, yeah. probably. Yeah, it's it's almost like we grew up in a Montessori school because hmm. of our grandparent, because of our grandma, and then our grandfather, nuclear physics PhD, it's done some really cool, you know, work in physics. But that mixture of like hard science and developmental play, uh, mm, that makes sense. It was was so, you know, why does that make sense? Well, the kind of um... You know, part of the issue, we were talking about this earlier, convergent, divergent thinking, is that the sciences kind of, there's a schism in which the sciences sciences came to represent strictly convergent thinking and the arts came to represent strictly divergent thinking. But both of you have the fusion of those things, which honestly is necessary to make anything. But I see that kind of science fascination or tech fascination for you. And then the playfulness that comes with it. You might be more playful, Chris, as you almost explicitly make things to play. Where yeah. you, I don't know <laughs> I if that's yeah, true. Yeah, it's funny. It's not so clear cut. Well, think. what I mean is like if you yeah. have a portfolio of both of your works. I think if I make anything that isn't explicitly play, it's just like raw creative. I usually don't. I just hoard it. You hide it yeah. from people? So. Why? Uh, I don't know. Because like what I I mean, I think the act of creating it's usually like an expression and like a form of play, and then once I have it, I'm like, oh, whatever. And it, I have like a backlog. It should also be acknowledged that he has a formal science background. Oh yeah, yeah. He's proper computer science and math was. I wouldn't whiz. <laughs> and then you are philosophy and photography. F- yeah, f- formally philosophy with some focus on uh, physics. 
You know, it's funny. I had Jason on, Russ Knock, and we were getting into how, like, I I just think there's a low ceiling to photography in terms of uh, impact it has on me as a medium. Yeah. You know, like, I think it can be in great service to other things like philosophy, but but in respect to expression, which is maybe a metric that I uphold as a valuable one in the arts, I don't feel that. But for you is, are you trying to make, I don't know, what is photography for you? Is it the delivery of those ideas mainly? Yeah, but I think there's also a component, and this may translate into filmmaking too. I'm curious what you think about photography and filmmaking, but I think for me, photography is so much about the world outside of me and not about my expression. And I think the poetry comes in choosing, you know, the choices one makes and what they are actively looking at. But I think the power, the camera has a real power to strip whatever we're looking at of its associative value of what, you know, we might want to project onto a subject or an object and just kind of see it for what it is and potentially outside of time because this image will survive past, you know, potentially past the individual who made it. And I think that the, the lack of expression is what creates the potential for poetry. Um, or or that interpretation of it, you know. I like the kind of humility of the medium, hmm. but also interested in the world outside of me, like the things that I'm pointing my camera at, much more interested in them than, you know, me. That uh, makes sense. I also, as the creative technologist, want to comment <laughs> that uh, I think um, since the advent of the smartphone, or at least just like sure. everyone having a camera, the amount of noise makes it so much harder to communicate any of that. Yeah. Um, not that it diminishes it. I just think it's, yeah, it's harder. Yeah. Well, and it's funny when we talk about, we were talking about 3D scanning houses mm-hmm. for sentimental reasons. Mm. And it seems to me that sometimes you think of 3D scanning in the, in the way he might think of photography. Oh, absolutely. Um but there's a little more of like uh, someone catching an animal, hunting something with the 3D scanning to me. There's something ghoulish about it. I mean, I think the technology usually produces something that looks very ominous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But dead. So that, dead. Yeah, very yeah. dead and very, yeah, like fragmented and broken. But even a complete clean 3D model, yeah, I don't know. I think it, to me, it just sits in the same sort of place as photography. Yeah. Well, it makes sense in some sense that philosophy is not a personal expression. It shouldn't be in some ways. Right. You got to engage with but, the world. But, you know, what I'm talking about, I guess, is I like the heroic arts where they, like, crush you and they, they take everything you have to to produce the thing. But it's very much an internal thing. Like you said, it's more external. So that helps. It's just a preference on my part that I like people creating their own world in some sense. But it's antithetical to what you're trying to do, even with the documentary. Obviously, right. a documentary is not about fabricating a reality. No. Yeah. yeah. You want to avoiding that at all costs. Right. Well, that seems like an aim that you're trying to avoid certain sensational takes on the topic since it already is sensationalized. Yeah. Yeah, no. Just cut So it's dry. almost like journalism in this in this sense of like I mean, I think doc any document documentary is supposed to be journalism. Some some 
Yeah, I'm trying to think of them through my in my head right now. I could give a funny story. Um, before <laughs> we worked at an ice cream shop together. Oh yeah, forgot to mention that. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was incredible time. That was incredible. We basically ran an ice cream shop for a couple summers in our youth into the ground. I mean, I don't know if we ran it. I did. <laughs> yeah, this was was this in Seagirt? Around the corner. Yeah. I think you told me this story. A guy just gave you the key. Yep. You know, he lied. He, okay. He lied to the manager that I was 18 and I was... Oh, I lied. Yes. No, I no, lied. no. You lied to the manager that I was 15. Right. Uh-huh. I was 13. Yeah. <laughs> and the manager lied to the owner that I was 18. In my defense, that was a, you're like was a great with lie. Bix? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the owner comes in the next day, shakes my hand. It's like, all right, here are the keys. You're going to open. Like within a week or so, I was like... A 13-year-old running this ice cream shop. Yeah. Nice. Um, and it was great. Oh, my gosh. Especially because, like, when you don't ask how much ice cream you can just eat, yeah, you can eat as much as you want. And I remember I cleaned out, like, one day it was really slow, and I filled up an ice cream machine with vanilla ice cream, and then I closed. No one bought vanilla ice cream, and the machine was empty. That's 300 cones for everybody <laughs> listening. 300 cones. Of consumption? Yeah. yeah, but the way you can consume that many at once is via milkshakes. That's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, I was just constantly... I mean, you're a 13-year-old with unlimited milkshakes. Yeah. You and go we, for it. It's just too much power. We, yeah. we, we would trade ice cream for burritos next door, too. Oh, yeah. Which was... Trading something that isn't yours is a, is a good feeling. Yeah. I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> that was... So that, that was a, a moment of glory for us, but... When we both were working the late shift, we would, you know, work until midnight and then close up and then come home. And then we would watch like two films back to back. And we did this, you know, every night in the summer. And we watched a lot of movies that way. And I don't know if you remember, but we watched uh, Bertinsky's. I fell asleep during Bertinsky. <laughs> It was good. We it was just late. Manufactured landscapes. I think that was the night I had the sea urchin ramen, and you right. wouldn't, you wouldn't eat it. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, it tasted terrible. But we couldn't. Re- I didn't know what we were eating. But uh, yeah, Ed Bertinsky's manufactured landscapes was hugely influential in terms of what docs could do and what photography could do. And there's, you know, that really rides the line between art and journalism mm-hmm. in a way that was compelling. Right. And you both were briefly at Mana Contemporary in Jersey City. Yeah. In the same studio? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Funny enough, uh, you know, this might be a hindsight realization. I don't know if we talked about this yet, but Kyra was going to be our third roommate. Oh, yeah. It was going to be the three of us. In the studio. In the studio. This was way before we'd even talked about making... Kyber Jones, videographer. Yeah. Our third uh, musketeer. Third musketeer, yeah. And I think... There may have been just an intuition that the three of us were going to do something together, but we couldn't, at the time, we just didn't know. And the studio was, I don't know, it was it was an attempt at, you know, formalizing some practice. Right. Also, it was fun. It was cool. There were some cool people there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I remember you being there. Chris, you were 3D printing at the time? Yeah, I would sculpt in VR and then 3D print the sculptures. So your process is often embedded with technology. Yeah. Almost always. Exciting, yeah. But it you would say it's a gimmick, but I there usually has to be a level of practicality. In the way that I 
like I use Blender now, which is like a professional tool. Mm -hmm. uh, and the sculpting suite in Blender technically is very challenging. Oh, I wouldn't say that. Why would I say it's a gimmick? You know, in the way that sculpting in VR yeah. sounds like, I think VR and AR, MR or XR okay. comes with a lot of, uh, all the R's come with a lot of the realities. They all come with like baggage in terms of gimmick. Quality. Oh, I've, I've sculpted in VR with like the spray. Yeah. I don't even know what that's called. Tilt but brush. It was a horrible. Well, that wasn't, that's no, not, what that's I'm not saying, a professional tool. That's like no, using no. Microsoft Paint. I'm saying yeah. what I created was horrible. Oh. It's not like some easy task, you know, not diminishing it, but it seems that you revel in pure fun. Oh, maybe. Like, like gimmicks can often have that element, you know, you're not shy about, uh, appearing high minded or not high minded. I mean, I, I think I'll defend it. I'll def I'll defend it. Yeah. I'll defend you're not, you could not walking around concerned about being perceived as a, like a, you know what I'm saying? Like a I, I, I fine think, artist, are I, you? I think there's a... Not really. Maybe a mockery of high-mindedness. Yeah. yeah. I think there's, I, Chris really thinks that, or he loves corporate aesthetics that take themselves too seriously. Like, no, what's, I mean, what's an example of that? It's like a childhood Yeah, this has been his whole, what's an example? whole life. <laughs> I mean, corporate architecture. I mean... In like bad corporate architecture, yeah, I used yeah. to love as a kid. Yeah, you always carried around a briefcase, like yeah. half because I thought it was really funny. Yeah, um, and now I still do. You see me, I carry that. I carry a briefcase around. Yeah, you're very mobile. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole different thing. Mobile but. and modular; those are his two. The modular man. Yeah. yeah, which is like the two foundations of making films. Like you have to be those two things, and this is true. Yeah. But yeah, no, mobile and modular are definitely yeah, cornerstones of my interests in everything. <laughs> but not for you, Tim. Uh, You're a nester. Hyper traditional. Hyper, yeah. So brutally traditional. Yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> no, I mean, there's there's probably something. I mean, we could talk about our aesthetic fork. He's much more utilitarian, and and That's new. Yeah, he's. No, I, he's... I guess we're both utilitarian, but you. I, I mean, I hold on to traditional things too. It right. just, I think that if it's aesthetic, yeah, and it it doesn't provide an amount of heat, like it, I, I'll right. yeah, I'll I'll let yeah. it go. He's much much more willing to toss away tradition for like Tim will wear <laughs> traditional materials that will fall apart, or he'll buy something that looks great because it's made of wax canvas. And then it'll last a year and it'll cost a fortune, which is cool and all. But for me, I'll like, I'd rather get the ballistic nylon that looks very similar and will last me 25 years. Because he's a romantic. Maybe, yeah. yeah, you, yeah you get I am too. I, I'm, it's you know, just for a different, it's for a different thing. What are you romantic for? The innovation. Yeah. The, 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 I like, I really like, like the a idea. true American. The thought, not really. It's more like wow. the thought of like, this backpack yeah. will be handed to my kids. Like, that's the thing. Whereas that's you could, a romance? The kind of, uh, Durability. Interesting. Yeah, super durability is definitely, yeah. I think it should be said that you're currently wearing ballistic nylon pants with <laughs> Air Force Ones and I'm wearing wax canvas pants yeah. with cowboy boots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll say, I will not say these shoes were purchased for durability in my... <laughs> but but you, you work or, in the dark room, is that right, Tim? Work, work in the dark room? In the dark room. Like when? Photography. photos. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's like abhorrent to you, I assume. Mm -mm. No? Why would that be? That feels like a great example of a thing that you wouldn't bother doing. 
But I, th- I think this, film? this is where I, our fork actually isn't too far apart. That's yeah, no, I, I'm not like ready to abandon something that still has merit. Like you can't replace film with digital. Yeah, I just mean the amount of time it's, is required for that payoff in the in the kind of minuscule attention to detail that most people don't even have to notice the difference. Uh, no, I still think you can totally. It's totally worth it. I begged him for years to carry a digital camera mm-hmm. in addition to his film camera. I don't think I ever suggested you get rid of the film camera. No. Or if anything, I told you to get a better film camera. He did. Yeah. Wow. So It's very supportive. It's also infuriating sometimes. Why? <laughs> He'll just be using the same thing. And I'm like, he's talented enough. If you just pushed him to use a better tool, which is impossible to negotiate, it would just be much. You just... Yeah, but how are you defining better tool? Because he probably thinks this tool is better. I'm, I'm brute force. Yeah. I, I know. It's a problem. Brute he, force in what way? talks me out of it. Uh, like, if, if you needed to format a PDF... Instead of learning how to format the text centered, Tim would rather hit spacebar a million times. Really? He knows how to do it. I literally just did this. No, you did not. I did this like two hours ago. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. Whereas I would rather spend more time learning to never have to do that. Yeah. Why and, would you do that, Tim? Again, this is a shortcoming of mine. I don't know. Why do? Why Are you work? the first child? I am. It sounds like first child behavior. Yeah. It really does. <laughs> Not, not that I know much about it, but like, yeah, they, there's <laughs> something going on there. Hmm. Are you, you're not the last one. I'm right? second. Second. So I'm, t- I'm kind of middle. Yeah. Me and my sister share the middle seat. No, I, as the fifth child, I feel like you discard things much quicker. Like there's a less, there's less sense of sacredness and, and proximity to the parent and how things were done. Would be boo. Oh yeah. She does not care. Yeah. My younger sister. You have two sisters. Yeah. I think when you're in the middle, though, you both hold on to everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And have a tendency to reject what you're being told. So, And you're funnier. (laughs) Middle children are always funnier. split. It's very split persona. The Gemini persona. So you have the perfect balance of a family. Yeah. Two (laughs) daughters, two sons. Yes, so. We came out first. They came out second. And what do your sisters do? Uh, Art-related things? Uh, mm-hmm. Yep. And it's funny. That, so Sammy, right after him, is a jeweler and an animal handler for film sets. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was on set today with a goat, a camel. With a goat. I, I don't know. In some, some big TV production. But it was, a, it was a larger animal. Oh, I don't know. I thought... I, I actually don't know. She... Manages the camel at Radio City during their Christmas show. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. The life of that camel. Oh, yeah. Just strange. Yep. Very bizarre. And Outside you're... most of the year, though. Yes. I guess the farm, they free roam all of the animals together. Hmm. This big, like, 100-acre whatever. And your other sister? She's studying animation at UArts. Yes, the school I went to. She's doing her first animated film right now. Nice. So we get to talk about how to pitch films together. It's pretty fun. That's cool. Yeah. So are you an art family? Are your parents artists? No. No. Yeah. That's fascinating to me. Entrepreneurs. Oh, same Bo- shit. Both entrepreneurs, yeah. Very similar paths. Yeah. I've been talking to a man who works 
who's been at like Y Combinator and all those startup things. Oh. And uh, that's the main thing we talk about is the intersection between entrepreneurs and artists and how similar it can be in terms of sacrifice and workload and the urge to create something new in some ways yeah. and effective. Yeah. Do you, and now the word has a lot of connotations that people don't like kind of douchey ones, but I reject all that. Like I'll straight up just say I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, are you entrepreneurs? Oh, working freelance. You have to be. Yeah. We've I don't done think I would take the title from that though. Yeah. You'll, you'll keep creative technologist. Yeah. Until yeah. I, for me, I'd like to develop a product. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, yeah, yeah. You got to love to develop a product and that's say I'm going to call myself an entrepreneur. Yeah. You got but, any ideas? Um, we can, oh yeah, I got a lot and they're yeah. not going on air. That's for sure. <laughs> He's got more than a few. Yeah. I think there's an entrepreneurial component to filmmaking too. That's slightly refreshing that, you know, it's rather than not talking about it, it's like just a piece of the creative process. It feels more transparent than maybe other art practices. So as, and you gotta, you gotta get out there and, you know, talk to a lot of people and pitch and sell and do the whole thing. So there's a piece of that, but maybe not quite. Uh, yeah, I think you probably need to start a company and get a product off the ground to gain the title. But yeah, yeah, certainly. It's kind of like a pioneer spirit. Yeah. Exploratory spirit. Yeah. I think our parents both have that. Yeah, risk-taking. Yes. <laughs> you are. You both take risks, would you say? Different kinds of risks, yeah. yeah. Um... Yeah, I don't know how you would. <laughs> what, what kind of? I mean, I could, I could, I immediately have a good example of a risk you took. What, oh, what is it? Can what we I, talk about it? Yeah, uh, it's a cool one. What is it? What I think? Cool risks. I mean, I don't know. How's our XP working? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's education related. Yeah, okay. interrupted by the all these waves. Yeah, no, we got it. He he dropped out of high school and went right into college. His sophomore year, junior year. Yeah, it would have been junior year. Junior year, yeah. You can do that? Hey, In New Jersey, there was a loophole. Hey, as soon as, and I actually remember <laughs> the day my parents told him this. and They met someone. They my met mom. somebody who, yeah, who found this loophole where if you just jump right into college courses in the state of New Jersey, you get your high school diploma and the credits. And it's to to protect a lot of transfer credit that doesn't get accepted coming from like other countries yeah to where you could come here take 30 30 general ed credits and then be at the same education level as a high schooler in your county oh, i got you so i did that at a community college i took 30 general ed credits without telling the community college that i had not graduated high school yeah and then at that point they were like oh well you have your you can get a diploma now and it wasn't i don't think it was ged it was like my actual a high school I would have gone to or would have finished. And this is because you're six foot six. No, no one had any idea. At what age were you six foot six? Was it eighth grade? Yeah. Was that 14, 13? 13, probably, yeah. So he was taller than you. This is why I could run the ice cream stand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You were tall enough to do it. Yeah. Yep. And, and I will say on the subject of, you know, leaving high school to go do college, my parents heard about this and they thought he might be interested 
But as a bluff. As a as a bluff, yeah. And I remember them telling him and him immediately going, I'm not going back to high school. <laughs> There's not an ounce of hesitation. And he, they told him he went to high school and he was like, I'm just going to go get my shit and then I'm out of there. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he went to school, both my parents were panicking because they were like, oh my gosh, like, I didn't think... Oh, I guess he's really going to do it. And I was like, you two are idiots. Of course he's going to. Right, right, right. That's a, that's a good risk taking example. And you're difficult to employ. (laughs) You've you've, you've told me that before. Not, not my experience of employing you, but. Uh, I think it's the struggle of the generalist. Yeah. 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 Talk about that. The generalists. Cause I, I relate to the generalist quite, quite well. But, you know, once you enter a real team that you respect and trust, you start to recognize that you have to sacrifice aspects of yourself for specialization. And it's a respectful thing to do. Mm-hmm. But if it's not in the service of some, like, great machine of oppression or something where you understand the sacrifice, you could say that about being a, in a familial structure or a relationship of any kind. But are you both? You seem like generalists. Both. Definitely. Yeah. Do you have shame about that? No. I prefer, no. till I get old, to learn is, like, I have a really, like, I'd, like, I'd rather, have lo- oh my god, I'd rather know a little about a lot of things than a lot about one thing. Like, right. I, I, I want to be a generalist, but you get what I mean? Like, I find more value in spreading wide than yeah. deep. No, me too, but I do have a deep admiration for specialists. Me too. Yeah. I envy them. Yeah. I, I would say that we're not... Yeah. I just yeah. don't think I could do it. Yeah. I, I don't think we are... And I think this is true of you, too. I don't think we're, you know, uh, a mile wide and an inch deep. I think there's, like... there no, there's chasms, There's sure. some big chasms of specialization. And the wider you go, the more water, like, pours into the, the right. deep. That otherwise wouldn't be there as a traditional specialist. Right. And I, I think there's this... Uh, you know, maybe hidden belief that by specializing in two things that wouldn't touch normally, if you could, you know, comprehend them enough and then build a bridge between them, that's how new things are built. That's how cross-pollination happens. And like, I, I don't know, like, what 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 would your, if you... Mine? Yeah. I mean... Well, art and technology. Yeah, there you Creative go. Creative technologists. But yeah. yeah, it's more specifically 3D art and software development right yeah and yours um i mean i i think there's this this mix of like academic philosophy and big picture history stuff with and physics with the history of art and art so it's a a similar you snuck physics in there yeah, yeah I, Tim, you let's put hear like about your four, physics background. You got I like mean, four. You threw like four or five in there, actually. So, yeah. A little wider than me. I tried to be specific. <laughs> yeah, I I can't claim the physics title. I It was more the history of physics. So that's history of science. And I think this film is probably, you know, inspired by that. I think the history of science was driven by these questions of how we know what we know. And that's kind of what our film's about. And uh, the, it's the, there's these you know, pinpoints and the, that question just fundamentally upending what we we thought we previously knew. And uh, it's always a, you know, question of epistemology that does that. So 
I think specifically I'm interested in that aspect of science and and physics, but that's more of a historical thing than than formal physics. I am not a physicist. And I will never say that as many times as I need to. Yeah, you could be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't want to hold you down. You don't crush his dreams. <laughs> this guy will. I wouldn't want to crush it. That's my job. <laughs> um. Yeah, but I, I think it is this this goal of you know connecting two areas of specialization. What's the documentarian you look towards while making this film as a kind of north star? I don't have one. Really, I think Bratinsky and Jennifer Bikewall are. That's you know what I. I think what they did was amazing with their films, but we also aren't setting out to make their film. No, no, but I think even if you don't know consciously, you always know. Well, you know, there's always someone you're emulating in some sense. I think something we talked about uh, is not documentary filmmaking. Yeah, 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 that could be possible. Yeah. I suppose the question framed you in that box, but so what is it? Do you want? Meet it? Yeah. Can you divulge? Uh, sure. Uh, we grew up largely on science fiction. Yeah. In the way that we love science, but yeah, science fiction is like the best. So yeah. that is where our filmmaking interest started. But could you frame a documentary with traditional science fiction motifs without watering down the documentary? part of it so that's what you're attempting um kind of i think it's an influence definitely an influence yeah if there was a hard <laughs> answer in terms of a documentary documentarian uh i would say it's more likely that we could take our influences from science fiction yeah interesting yeah we this is mostly cinematography here but yeah. yeah which is a big piece of it but i think i mean i i, I we both were pretty moved by uh, Tarkovsky's Stalker. Oh, yeah. I'm showing that in three weeks. Nice. At the Williams Center. Nice. Yeah. Nice. We're going to see The Conformist tonight. At the Williams Center. <laughs> yeah. Which I've never seen. So Neither have I. I uh, I'm excited to see that. Me too. But, yeah, I, th I think the camera motion in that and just the way that film was conveyed was you know, a game changer. I think that's a game changing film for a lot of people. So I don't it's think we're... really popular. Yeah. As a talking point I've which, noticed, which is great. You know, it's a great film, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, among other things, I think, uh, just science fiction does a really good job of documenting, even if it's fictional scientific discovery, if not like, collecting data it's just like the backbone of a lot of good science fiction mm -hmm. um and it's captured authentically but right. there's something about the aesthetic of how it's done in fiction that is authentic i don't know how to describe it looser more playful or more composed yeah i would say it's tighter mm. yeah and ominous that's another way to describe it Usually in the science fiction, there's a narrative that is ominous. And whereas here, we don't have its reality. But Do you see what you're going to do after this film? 
You already have ideas for that? More movies. <laughs> yeah. So you're going down that path. You can uh, screen them at the Williams Center. <laughs> yeah. That's the plan. That is the plan. Um, yeah, I think there's there's a high likelihood of a, another one after this one. Will it be a documentary? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, film makes sense for a natural kind of um, fit in terms of familial structure or relationships. Do you have titles in respect to the film? Directors. You're both directors? Yeah. And VFX supervisor, of course. VFX supervisor? And, yeah. and writer and showrunner. You're writer, showrunner, Kyber, videography. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see you do it at a larger scale. See how that goes. With like a, a team of... Yeah. I think if we step out of the documentary realm, that we, we just won't have a choice. You know, working of with course, actors, yeah. working with a whole team of people, uh, which would be great to do. Um, how would you get people excited about seeing this film? You know, what's the pitch? What's the elevator pitch? Uh, I think the, I think the, the landscapes that we have to go into to make it are exciting in themselves. You know, yeah. I think the, the researchers that collect this data have to go like literally to the ends of the earth. Yeah. And use like the most ludicrous, like, ma like machinery. Yeah, it is. It's like kind of speaks for itself as like a visual spectacle. Yeah. So. We're, we are, we're making a space film more or less on Earth. And like the landscapes that we are going to have to go into are alien mm -hmm. and, and, you know, sublime in the use of that word. But <laughs> uh, what yeah. are the landscapes? What places will you go to? So right now we're locked in to go off the coast of Greenland and we're going to have to film in some mines hopefully in Sicily and Spain and in the Mediterranean and the expedition we are working towards right now is the South Pole. And what will you be filming exactly? We will be filming uh, the core sampling process. Um, is it like a big old drill? Yeah. Basically, yep. in the middle of a large, very, very large ship yeah, that goes out in parts of the ocean where there are no, there's no air traffic, there's no shipping lanes, there's no fishing. So you're the only thing out there. So, and there's like the Northern Lights, like it's a very surreal environment. So you'll see the Northern Lights. Ideally. I, I checked at least the time of the year we're supposed to be there. Really? Yeah. On 403? I, yeah, it could be wrong, but... <laughs> Gosh, I love this news. This is great. Yeah, it's only gets better. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're gonna follow them, and we we could say that the the title of the film is the Time Travelers because this data that they're collecting is like millions of years old, hmm. and uh, it helps inform us about the future of life on this planet. So, so there's that sci-fi angle, that kitsch title. Yeah, yep, that's cool. Yeah. You gonna lean into that with like a font that says it that <laughs> says that? 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Dude, this guy wants to use Dido, but <laughs> really, yeah, right. Hmm. I want, I want, you know, I want an opera, space opera. That's cool. I respect that. <laughs> well, I'm happy for you. Thanks. I mean, we got to make it now. You will. Chris, what you think you'll make it? Yeah, we already have a, a lot. You know what it is? I think if there's anything that boosted my confidence, it's that the subject matter on its own doesn't seem like it can amount to a feature-length film. Yeah. Until we went to Texas and met all the people and learned about what's involved, and then I was like, oh, absolutely. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You're saying the process is intriguing. Yeah. Completely. Uh, politically, there's a lot huh. that is pretty intense. It does. It feels like we found NASA, and it's just been stuck in a broom closet. Really? In terms of like the scope and scale and importance of this stuff. Um, I suppose you can approach it day by day and let whatever's interesting kind of carve the documentary's path. Like if it gets a more human narrative, that's fine. Sounds nice, you know. Like you said, there's so much on the plate already. If you just do the job right, it'll be good. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, you know, the go- I, th- I think the story lends itself to a feature-length film, and we are just leaning into that, you know? It's not like we set out to make a feature, it's just this is what this requires. Yeah. And would you prefer it be shown in theaters, or would you be cool with it being released by, like, Netflix? The only reason I ask is as I'm studying how to open up a new cinema... I've been reading more and more about that dynamic and how that's why cinemas struggle a lot. The film is shown in a festival, but then it gets picked up by, you know, a streaming service. And then they, they start getting all the quality shit. And the cat is here. Hot ego. <laughs> Have you considered that? You were, you were going back and forth about it right now. Yeah. Quite yeah. a bit. Um, I think it all given the nature, what the opportunity, what doors are opened. Yeah, the space opera nature of it makes me think it should be in theaters. <laughs> I think what what we all agree on as a team is like we want to do what's best for the film, mm-hmm. like whatever. And also, there's there is an educational component to this, so we want to showcase this research to as wide an audience as we can. So yeah, if a streaming platform we'll do that then that's the way we're gonna go if a traditional box office release will do that that's the way we're gonna do and streaming platform doesn't negate screening i think it really depends on whether or not they produce it true yeah yeah Yeah. we would like to have a fun premiere Mm -hmm. perhaps at the williams center at the williams center (laughs) at the williams center thank you you got a joke for me before we go Family joke. Oh, man. Joke you both love. Uh, have you ever heard uh, the joke about the broken pencil? No. <laughs> I don't even know where you're going with it. It's fucking pointless. You don't want to uh, hear it. Oh, God. Can you do something? Also, Tim's jokes are like notoriously terrible. No, that's a great joke. <laughs> it's Tim's. 
You, I would think someone like you would appreciate that. I do. I do because I appreciate him. <laughs> I think him finding it funny is what I find funny. He's much funnier than me. No, his, I wouldn't. His wit is so quick. He No, don't put me. I don't have any jokes to tell. <laughs> yeah, you your your jokes are situational. Fair enough. That's that joke's good enough for me. Hmm. I always like to end it on a joke. Cool. All right, so pitch the film one more time and tell people where they can find your work. Huh, yeah, where can people find You have a website. Yeah, I do have a website. So um, there? Yeah. You know? um, yeah, so the film is called The Time Travelers, and we are going to the ends of the earth following these researchers as they reach into the deep past to tell us about the future of life here on earth. Currently, we're in pre-production, so... Do you need money? We do need money. So, all my wealthy listeners. Yeah. yeah. They need money. Yeah. yeah. Um, so as for a website right now, we don't have anything up, but no time travelers I guess. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Time travelers And you can see my work at lionswork.com and, and mine at chris Yeah. Oh, dot tech. Huh? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for your time. Thanks for having us. It's thank time you. to go to the Williams center, the Williams center. Let's check out the conformist. Bertolucci's. I heard this was the great one of the greatest films ever made, honestly. That's what they say. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. Fantastic. Music by Dory Bavarsky and Ming Chen. Next up, we have James Kaufman. Mm-hmm.